My friends, I am Vivian McPeak, and this is Hemp Present. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hemp Present, email me at hemppresent at gmail.com. Sheena Roberson is a visionary leader whose journey has been defined by a passion for empowering marginalized communities and promoting inclusivity within the cannabis industry. Before establishing her groundbreaking initiatives, Sheena honed her skills as a corporate leader for Chick-fil-A, where she demonstrated her commitment to community advocacy and outreach. Drawing from her corporate leadership experience, Sheena's heart was called to address the disparities and injustices perpetrated by the war on drugs. She became an ardent advocate for communities disproportionately affected by these policies, Recognizing the urgent need for empowerment and support, this catalyzed her journey as a social entrepreneur, setting the stage for the transformative work that she would later accomplish. I have Sheena here today to tell us all about it. Welcome, Sheena, to Hemp Present. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I appreciate being a guest. My pleasure. So, Sheena, you used to be a corporate leader for Chick-fil-A. Uh, can you talk about your work there and what skills and aptitude you developed in that role that you were able to transfer over in your work into the cannabis realm? Um, well, at Chick-fil-A, I was the sales and marketing director um, and the director of outside catering sales. Uh, so I worked he- very heavily with some of the largest volume stores in Atlanta, uh, which also garnered being responsible for some of the largest accounts that they held from uh, Coca-Cola and, you know, um, the Georgia World Congress Center uh, to our movie sets and, uh, you know, the aquarium, right? And so there were, um, there was a lot of responsibility for me to forge strategic partnerships um, and create opportunities to um, build and establish, reestablish Chick-fil-A's brand uh, within as many um, large scale um, and corporate entities as we could, or organizations that we could. Um, a lot of what I understood to be remarkable experiences and services I garnered from Chick Fil A. Um, they definitely instilled a level of expectation of quality um, and a respect for structure and procedure that. It definitely helped me develop and build out the skill sets necessary necessary to recreate those remarkable experiences. So um, Chick-fil-A was very um, big on emphasizing structure and procedure to make sure that they are giving customers quality every instance, every turn, right? Every time you go to Chick-fil-A, you're met with a smile and a my pleasure and um, your food's always great. And there's somebody there with an umbrella if it's raining and they're taking orders in line. Um, but a lot of that is procedure and, and built into the system um, to ensure that that quality is across the board, right? And so um, one of the things that I definitely wanted to make sure I carried over in the sense of what I garnered from that space was that remarkable experience because cannabis is um, such a, a dual faceted space as it relates to like medicinal patients and then sort of what um, folks like to term recreational use, quote unquote, um, that, you know, you have to be thoughtful about what kind of experiences you're creating for people and what kind of um, ways you're looking to connect and provide education or resources or introduce people to different um, products or services or things um, within this space in particular, it was important for me that, you know, I 
remember that, you know, at every instance you want this to be a remarkable experience for, for someone because this may right. be the first time they're having a conversation about cannabis. This may be the first time that they're willing to listen uh, about what the medicinal benefits could be, right? Or this may be the first time they've heard about terpene. So, you know, it was always my goal to make sure that, you know, there were remarkable experiences for folks when they encountered us at every turn. Was there, uh, you talk about quickly how you made the transition into cannabis and social equity. Was there an event that gave you inspiration or was there kind of a process that took you from the corporate to the cannabis? Well, interestingly enough, um, uh, upon me having to return home um, after losing my mom, I um, was in the process of establishing my own consultancy and kind of reemerging myself back into um, my hometown. And um, over the course of time, I had made some connections and was invited to um, a cannabis conference that was happening in the city. And as someone who's like pretty well connected with social service organizations, with event planning, with things that are happening in the city, just from my scope of work before Chick-fil-A um, and, you know, community outreach and grant writing, all the things, you know, I'm pretty tapped into what's happening. And I hadn't heard about this anywhere else um, or from any other source. And so I thought it was interesting. Um, and then to find out that it was at the convention center, which is the largest venue in the city to be hosting something like this was even stranger, um, considering again, I had not heard anything about it. So um, upon my arrival, obviously I was taken aback because this was, um, I, active conversations about what the landscape of what the cannabis industry will look like in Pennsylvania. And there was no one that looked like me. There were barely any women and there definitely were no people of color to speak of. Um, and this was agriculture conversation. This was marketing. This was real estate. This was, I mean, so many um, different conversations and, and planning and connecting and networking and things happening. And nobody knew this was going on. Um, and so for me, I was surprised and a little obviously offended and, and upset and, and trying to figure out how to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. Um, while also sharing what I just found out. And as I did that, it was just down a rabbit hole of all of the things that just didn't align um, with with what I felt like the cannabis industry should look like, especially considering the impact of the war on drugs on a community that I am from. So um, that definitely fueled the fire. And um, I began trying to figure out what was available to people of color and systematically disadvantaged groups, LGBTQI communities, um, folks that were typically not in, the, in you know, um, in the loop of these things um as as i was as i wasn't and how to get this information to them you know i want to i want to talk more with you about your experiences as a woman in the cannabis industry um but after the, the next break which is about three minutes away but first your, your bio talks about how you were called to address the disparities and the injustices perpetrated by the war on drugs um, and the need that you felt to advocate for communities disproportionately affected by those drug war policies. I mean, we know that people of color have been profiled, targeted, incarcerated at much higher rates than white Americans. Um, but in your words, can you unpack for us a little bit what other kind of impacts has the drug war perpetrated on, on communities of color and specifically? Um, that's a good question. I think that um, when we talk about those disparities, those that the, you know, the overcriminalization is the first thing that comes to mind, but there's a lot of 
um, you know, outlying obstacles and barriers that are created, um, for instance, housing, right? And so um, having a record or having someone who's been incarcerated can affect your ability to access affordable housing if you need it. Um, it social service benefits, uh, Department of Human Services, right? Um, all of these, these agencies um, are built around a system that has help destroy um, a lot of these families families and communities. Um, and they're also responsible for the social and economic welfare of said communities. Um, so in that in itself, there's just built in systematic disadvantage. And even, um, the, even but the right to vote, right? The right to vote, right? And exactly. And I mean, and then if you think about it, um, you know, we know that the war on drugs has also impacted the community's abilities to get the proper um, funding and resource support that they need. So we know that these communities have a direct correlation to also having um, food sovereignty issues, um, access to preventative care and health care services. Um, a majority of what those communities look like and those target, those target demographics that we hear about um, that are in need of assistance are also the same demographics that have the highest rate in diabetes and high blood pressure and don't have access to um, the same opportunities because they are, again, marginalized in the system um, that is sort of built around them relying on that system. Um, and so it takes a lot of, it takes services and outside resources and, and, and other initiatives for people to be able to tap into to sort of figure out um, how to work around um, sometimes the only thing they have to to use, right? If you don't have a job that's paying six figures right now, I think everybody can fill the pinch. So imagine someone who does not have the qualifications to get such a job, who is working and making 10 bucks an hour and, um, you know, can't get a better job because of their record, right? And can't get a better housing, can't get regular housing because of what they make, and but they can't get into affordable housing because of their past, or they can't live with their families because of their past. And so there's there's layers, and right. that obviously creates mental health obstacles and barriers and things um, that also are 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 prevalent in this community. So there's there's down again down a rabbit hole of of all of the things that this Sheena, touches as we go. I got to go to a break. Um, so so let's uh, let's hold that for a second. We're going to take a quick break and come back with our second segment with Sheena Roberson. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We're back on 100% with Sheena Roberson. Um, Sheena, uh, can you talk about your experience not only as a woman in the cannabis industry, but as a person of color? What has that experience been like for you? Are there any experiences or challenges you've had that you feel are unique to black women who are active in the predominantly white male cannabis industry. Uh, although thankfully both of those things are kind of changing as the industry gets more diverse. Yeah. I mean, 
Absolutely. There's definitely a unique experience for being a woman in this space and even more so uh, for a woman of color and, and particularly me as a black woman. Um, I am walking into rooms that I know, um, despite what I offer as an individual, um, is just undervalued, right? It's just instantly undervalued. Um, women of color, unfortunately, are not invested in as, as much as they should be. Um, we are often not promoted as much as we should be. I've been in several situations where a lot of my work was, uh, you know, repackaged for for upper management to, you know, take credit for, um, and and you know all of the the um, effort that that's put out, you know, it's not receiving the recognition or the proper, you know, pay or you know accolades as everyone else. Um, it, it's noticeable even when it's done subtly, even when it's done under the guise of something else, it's still very sharp and it's still uh, very noticeable. And so um, for me personally, it, this space, although it is, um, it, it's yin and yang for me. I, while I experience some of those same things in the cannabis space, and there is also a special mixture breed of, of, uh, douchiness, for lack of better terms, um, that, that can be found in this space. Um, there's also the other side of people who are genuinely in here to do the work and, and really be an advocate for, for cannabis and for patients and for people of color and systematically disadvantaged groups. Um, and, and that's where you find the energy and the strength and the the vigor to keep going um and and to um find new ways to to survive and thrive in this space despite all of that um and you know my grandmother always said necessity breeds invention and so um you know it's out of the necessity for that that safe space for women of color that, you know, the higher conference was even born because I know that I am not alone in feeling, um, you know, so the, the unspoken, um, uncomfortableness that, that others present. And, and, and you're talking about the higher women of color in cannabis conference that you founded, right? Yes. Yes. Tell us about that. Higher uh, was founded just for that. It's the Higher uh, Cannabis Conference for Women of Color. Um, we are in our second year, happening June 21st through June 23rd, 2024. So I'm very excited. Um, but our, our inaugural kickoff was last year, and it was incredible. It, we, um, it was such an amazing fellowship of women of all different uh, races um, and coming together to have conversations about things that spaces like MJ BizCon just don't cover, right? And some of these larger conferences and platforms that, you know, are being um, revered and, and held in high regard as sort of like the go-to things in cannabis um, that aren't addressing really large um, obstacles and barriers um, for women of color that take up a large amount of space in this industry and put in an incredible amount of work um, and, and just deserve as much of a platform as, as everyone and everything else. And so higher is a, a testament, a physical living, measurable testament to um, the power, resilience and incredible work that women of color have and continue to do in this space. You're also the founder of Cannabis Noir, uh, whose mission is to provide a safe and encouraging environment for minorities and overlooked demographics to access the cannabis industry and medicinal community successfully without obstacles. Um, 
Yes. Your words, that, that's a very important agenda. What are some of the ways that you're making that happen? And what kind of people do you serve? So our community is vastly diverse. I love the biodiversity and the, orga- the organic biodiversity of, of our community. Uh, Cannabis Noir is a, um, a organization that now has a, a community in 32 different states. Um, so we have people from all over the country, from all different walks of life that are representing all different types of um, divisions of, of policy, of uh, patients, uh, parents. Uh, we have uh, the broadband of what the cannabis industry actually looks like. It's such an amazing tapestry of people um, that have created this um, wonderfully united front of what our expectations of the cannabis industry and its future should look like. And so we are hosting networking events and we are creating opportunities for resource rich and, and um, uh, measurably um, thoughtful and intentful and focused um, uh, outreach that's designed to empower different communities to either be a part of the cannabis industry, take advantage of the resources that are available, um, or reap the benefits um, that most folks should be um, from from who have been adversely impacted from the war on drugs. Um, from that, we actually have a nonprofit called Developing Opportunities and Providing Equity, Dope, um, that nice. uh, hosts a uh, career training program and it connects uh people who have adversely been who have been adversely impacted um in whatever form that looks like to take part in these programs um and access opportunities that are beyond like traditional career fairs and so you you know may not have the skills to you know work in tech but you're an amazing artist well we need to connect you with a place that you can hone those skills and so we have relationships with places like Rec philly Next Fed, which is a creators and makerspace, um, a woodshop and woodworking place, a real estate firm and agency, um, all of these different spaces that folks can tap into and kind of just hands on garner use, uh, t- measurable, actionable skills um, to go out and start being a part uh, and uh, to go out and start actively taking a part in what they want their life to look like. Cause I think a lot of times when we have an expectation of how we want to help people, we, this is how we are going to help them. We're going to get them this, we're going to get them that, and we're going to do this. When all actually all those paths look different because all those people are different. So our job is to figure out what ways we can support those different paths and those different journeys as organically as possible. And so, um, yeah, cannabis noir is the, is the the organization and sort of the community and our nonprofit is sort of the the resource driven um, forefront for you know is that folks. a C three yes yes nice. you know there's a lot of talk in you know about social equity and the states that legalize have social equity programs and it often seems to really fall short and kind of mm-hmm. just be be you know, window dressing or messaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it sounds like you're doing the actual work uh, to make it, you know, make it happen, right? Because <laughs> a lot of people of color don't know how to enter, in, enter the industry. And, and it's probably extremely awkward trying to enter this, this white industry uh, that's mostly men, mostly corporate these days. There's been a lot of carpet bagging, right? Yeah. A lot of legacy yeah. people have been pushed out of, their, of the industry they helped to create. Absolutely. Um, t- tell us quickly about the, we have about a minute and a half to the next break. Uh, tell us about the Equity Roadshow. 
So the Equity Roadshow is actually a uh, a multi-state tour that was designed to go and just have conversations with communities about um, cannabis and legalization and what that will look like for them, what kind of obstacles or barriers they're faced with, and what kind of instances would uh, or what kind of interest they have in um, learning more about cannabis, right? And so it's sort of just an open forum that helps sort of alleviate some of the stigma around it and help introduce people to the understanding that this is how, you know, the civic process works and this is how this ties into our fight for legalization with cannabis and ensuring that as these things roll out, that not only are we a part of the conversation, but we're also leading the directives and the narratives. And we do that by educating people of how the system works and how the civic policies work um, and how to be active contributors to said system. And so um, I think the first step in it though is getting them to understand and getting them to healthily, um, healthily explore cannabis at their own in, in their own spaces, right? And so we go and we pull up and we connect with local community partners and have conversations about what cannabis looks like. Um, okay. And yeah, it's a it's a really great opportunity for people to get out and kind of get to know um, more about what will be happening in their neck of the woods as it relates to cannabis as well for people who are break. There in a community. All right. Uh, we're going to another, take another quick break, come back with our final questions for Sheena. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Back for the third segment with Sheena Roberson. Um, Sheena, um, what is Burn Blunts Not Books? I love that. I love the name. <laughs> Burn Blunts Not Books was a campaign, is a campaign that we um, started last year that was in support of literacy campaigns um, surrounding the um, book banning. And um, mm. and so while, you know, I think that, I think I love that cannabis is such a segue into so many different ways to have conversations about really important things. Um, and so I thought it would be cool to help people connect the dots in terms of what this book then could mean and what that looks like. Um, so it's just basically an online campaign and we're actually going to be picking it back up um, after Black History Month um, and doing a online sort of visual content, um, digital uh, content course um, of just different ways that you can support um minority offers, offers of color, um, books that are about subjects that are, we know that they are trying to ban, especially those that are related around cannabis and the war on drugs and the impact of what that looks like for disadvantaged communities um, specifically. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity, I think, for people to learn about how to become more active in some other forms of social justice that we think are really important. Um, and uh, you know, I once I've heard that there was a button to, op, you know, there was like a social equity button you had to click just to get books that have minorities or topics about minorities or LGBTQ um, that, you know, for the Scholastic Book Fair, that was kind of like my light bulb that this thing is kind of like bigger than we probably think and, and deserve some attention. So I was happy to create something around that. We work with a bunch of local bookstores and offers and it's been really cool. In March, 2024, we'll be launching again and having a whole series of conversations online with offers and discussing why this is important and ways that people can be a part of saving banned books. Well, how about the Cannabis Core Social Responsibility Fund? 
Uh, the CSRP is something that I created very early on as an initial framework of what I thought the cannabis industry should pull into investing. Um, I was, uh, this was, a, I mean, I was extremely new into the cannabis space, um, but I think that because we have grown in such a way, the CSRP um, it, it just proves that how sound it was at its inception because it still makes sense to me, right? Because at the end of the day, the social responsibility of corporations is important and people take, pay attention to it, right? If you are, um, you know, an oil tanker and or you are, you know, in, in big, big oil and you have an oil spill and there's a bunch of ducks that get hurt, and, you know, you invest in in dawn and and like figure out how to invest in ducks and the safety of ducks and you know oh we'll we'll work to make sure that our machines don't do this and even if it's for pr there's an expectation because you have a social responsibility as a corporation and i think that that holds true for the cannabis industry too i don't think you can come into a community destroy it with the very same product that you are now selling and making millions of dollars for it without some type of restitution back into said community after you dumped oil all over it, right? And so um, the CSRP was formulated around that thought that as um, a community, the cannabis industry should be socially responsible, hold themselves responsible um, as, as corporations, as companies, as people are taking part and and um reaping the benefits and of, of this industry uh that they invest back into the oil spills and the you know fuck ups of this space prior to that's impressive uh and we only have about maybe uh, a little over 30 seconds um to talk about this uh i have been involved in cannabis legalization for 35 years uh i must say things have not gone the way many of us envisioned uh, with mm -hmm. overregulation, excessive taxation, lack of credit and stuff. Um, I know you have some thoughts on legalization in, in like 30 minutes, 30 seconds. Uh, could you give this to us real quickly? Um, I mean, it, it's pretty simple. I, I don't think that, you know, I, I, I'm not a fan of the, the descheduling. I believe that it's a passive aggressive attempt to not do what should be done. I think that, you know, um, the rescheduling, I think that descheduling it and, um, you know, so that we're not having this conversation at all. Um, is is the only thing that makes sense to me. And I think it's the only yeah. way to start off having a real conversation about what all of that restitution does and what all of those those walkbacks of, of the expungements and, and the harsh convictions. Um, and yeah. I think that that's part of the reason why we haven't seen that is because it would be kind of a blatant, you know, okay. hey, we messed up. And, um, and yeah, now we have to be responsible for that. And, and being responsible for things is not something our country has done all right, um, Sheena, um, our, our time is up. Instead of Schedule 1, it needs to be Schedule None. Sheena <laughs> Wilson, found at CannabisNoir.com, and that's CannabisNoire.com. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. That concludes this installment of Hymns on Cannabis Radio. The Hymn present intro music, Seven Mile Beach by Joanne Rand. The outro music, Take Back the Plant by Sticky Bush. Stay strong. Marijuana!